Welcome to the Making a Runner podcast. I'm your host, Nick, a running specialist, biokineticist, and coach. And I'm a co-host, Davey, aka Davey on the Run. Through our shared knowledge and experience, we unpack the fascinating topic of running. We speak to coaches, athletes, subject matter experts, and everyday enthusiasts to help you improve your running. And ensure that you enjoy every step of the way, wherever the road or trail may take you. This is how runners are made. It's how runners are made, baby. Oh yeah. So nose breathing is apparently 15% more efficient if you want a number than, than mouth breathing as a sort of number. Um, it, it's really complicated in the beginning, but it should feel simpler. And, and, and you know, like runners might be like, oh, what do I trust? This opinion, that opinion. Ultimately, you know, your best running is when everything starts to sink in. So you're not that aware of your breathing. Everything fits, everything feels right. Like my breathing, like it feels appropriately tired. My whole body's fatiguing, not sort of, I'm hyper aware of my breathing or I'm hyper aware of my quads or I'm hyper aware of my adductors. So, so generally speaking, when things start to fall in line, become simpler, your body disappears, in your mind, it feels like one thing is, is try and trend towards that direction. All right, Lawrence, welcome to the show again. <laughs> we, keep, we keep on doing this to our listeners. But guys, we honestly, we had some technical difficulties in our last podcast where I lost half of the conversation. Lawrence's mic didn't turn on, so it sounded super buffy. And I feel like we, we didn't leave our listeners on the best foot forward when it came to running and breathing. So I reached out to Lawrence again and said, please, man, can we do a part two of it? And let's focus a little bit more on the breathing side of it for running in particular. You know, in our, in our previous part of the show, we, we spoke about so many things that are relevant to running, like why running, why breathing matters, the physiology behind breathing, the differences between nose breathing and mouth breathing. There's so much in that previous episode that, you know, is important and we are going to touch little points of it today. But as we spoke, I think today we want to focus really, really just on how we can make you better runners through breathing. What do you say, Lawrence? Yeah, but third time lucky. Let's go. <laughs> third time lucky. I Perfect. think everyone can hear you clearly now. <laughs> All right. So I want to start here. We Something that we left off with is sort of the rhythm and the importance of rhythm to running and how having the right type of breathing technique can really enhance our rhythm. And I personally have found that a lot in my running. And even yesterday, I did a time trial and I, I felt so good because I got into such a good breathing rhythm and I could feel like my stride was matching with my breathing. And that's when I feel like, man, my running is marrying itself there. Um, yeah, for sure. Like like I said, there's a the breathing is controlled through a rhythm center and then um, rhythm in running is really important. We, we sort of touched on it. It's quite complicated of, of how to breathe when you're breathing hard, which is something that it seems to be personal to, to sort of athletes, but everything right up to sort of like um, our, pay, like let's say a 15K race um, or 21, yeah, 15K for elites, 10K for elites, you, you can influence your breathing and you can have a good rhythm. But certainly anything from a half marathon and upwards, um, you should be well in control of your breathing. Like, you know, you should be the master of, of that and you can dictate a pattern. You know, I think emphasizing the exhale is important uh, in slower efforts. Um, and, and again, when it comes back to really running hard, like some people just, you know, it's they dump in or they dump, they tend to dump out or some people breathe pretty symmetrically. So you can go like, <gasps> or the other way around where you sort of, 
and you're breathing in slowly. It, 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 most people tend to go one way or the other, but establishing that rhythm is really, really, you know, a, a rhythm through breathing can almost put you in a meditatable trance-like state and you, mm. you sort of find your center. And I'm sure everyone's experienced it where you put a certain song on and then that rhythm and you just feel like, oh, I can run forever or your favorite running playlist, you know. So so rhythm is and variability is very, very important in running. But but you mentioned that in the previous episode and you also mentioned how there there isn't really a one-size-fits-all to breathing. Am I correct in saying that everyone needs to find what works for them and their particular restrictions? Or is there like something that, you know, scientifically shows that it is more beneficial to try this approach when running slow? Or I, know, I agree with what you say in terms of the yeah. faster stuff, it is difficult, but the slow stuff, is there certain approaches that people can practice? Yeah, nose breathe as much as possible and focus on exhale. And I, I put, so we're going to get into a realm now where I'm not, I'm just not sure. So that, that's why I'm not saying, there's some people with very strong opinions on how you should and shouldn't breathe. I, I'm, <laughs> if I'm not 100% sure about something, I won't say. I don't go after stuff that doesn't move the needle and I don't get involved in stuff that I'm not sure. Um, again, from my perspective, I think really clearing out breathing adhesions, um, relaxing your diaphragm, making the whole system as happy as possible, you know, doing, doing a daily sort of, uh, slowing down your breathing technique. So many things fall into place. And then often you find like the athlete will start to find their own rhythm or, or have a sense of ownership or it's something we can discuss. But I don't tell people when you run hard, you must take two breaths in and two breaths out, or you must do it this way or that way. Um, you know, at, and also like, let's say, so, so amateur runners, I mean, the differences that we have in performance and mental approach and anxiety levels and stuff is absolutely huge. And not a lot of amateurs, and, and that's just the low hanging fruit and the basics. Um, you know, so not a lot of amateurs really get into the question of how should I breathe when I'm breathing hard? It just doesn't really seem to come up. And in elites, I'm always asking them or trying to enhance what they've got. I'm more curious about how they do it because they do it better than other people in the world than I am about telling them dogmatically, this is how it should be. Um, people are quirky and, and you know, if an athlete's really, really successful, I'm trying to just enhance breathing and enhance their sense of breathing and notice any glitches or restrictions. I'm not really telling as much as, as I'm trying to observe. That's so, so interesting because then in terms of observing, we're also talking about specific running form biomechanics. And I know that you mentioned in the previous show that, you know, you're not a big, you're not a big believer of queuing people at this stage in your, in your career. You obviously mm -hmm. went through that phase and this is where you're at right now and you've come around to it. But now, obviously, different running forms and running styles will lead to different styles of breathing. Am I correct yep. in that? There'll be some yeah. styles that will collapse, that will close up that chest a little bit more, other styles that will open up the chest. Can we just dive into that <laughs> element a little bit without going into running form in particular? Okay. Um, yeah, for sure. So for me, I prioritize breathing and I want to see relaxed breathing in an athlete. I think it's really, really crucial. So specifically, I wouldn't tell someone to engage their core. Um, because if you engage your core, you, you kind of end up with a breathing restriction. Like, remember, we want to sort of 
breathe in and have a gentle arch your chest and your belly should relax and as you breathe out your core should gently be almost like being a bellows your 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 We've got accessory breathing muscles and they include your transverse abdominis, they include your rectus abdominis, they include serratus anterior, um, and we want to use them and your, your QLs. And so for a breathing spine and an organic breath, you know, I don't believe you should be tensing your core, let's say. You know, um, some people say like you should need to flatten your chest or there's a couple of other, I'll, I, no cues from me that interfere with breathing. I think an interesting dynamic is i prefer very balanced running um and a balanced runner will be someone that is pretty upright and uses their whole foot when they run or slightly posterior chain on the easy stuff and the, and the reason is because it frees up your breathing um four foot running uh kind of like a, a leaning forward running um there's a technique they sort of call you know we give these things labels but like sprint running uh, anterior chain running tends to tighten up and restrict your breathing and and it can have a profound effect on on the athlete's quality of life so we find like someone that was very anterior chain if you sort of open the door and and they become more balanced or they learn to access their posterior chain very often their sleep improves their levels of anxiety their mental and emotional approach dramatically improves so i'm 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 quite big on that I think another one where you can get in trouble is, is shoulders. You know, like where should your shoulders be? Often our shoulders are too high. Um, in the history of humankind, probably no one's ever calmed down if they were told to calm down. Okay, so <laughs> you know, <laughs> so um, why we say that is, is it doesn't help to tell people to relax their shoulders or drop their shoulders. So, so what we can do is amplify it. You can actually shrug them up towards your ears, hold them even tighter, and then just relax and let them go. Um, so yeah that does those are kind of like the way i work yeah the basics but so just for the listeners that don't really have an idea of the kinetic chain now you're talking posterior yeah. and anterior um yeah. in your experience do you find that a lot of runners are anterior chain dominant or is it sort of like a 50 50 is it related a lot to what that runner does in their daily life uh what has sort of been your practical experience with that and just give a little bit of an intro into the two different kinetic chains that you're talking about okay so so you know these are descriptions and continuums um so you can have an element of both you know um but yeah generally speaking in a healthy human <laughs> um children learn to run really well they generally run with their whole foot they're generally pretty balanced you're not really sure if the anterior chain or posterior chain they move really well if, if if the child has had a healthy upbringing with not too much trauma and i think yeah if you just visually observe i think that that starts to disappear um you know if you watch high school runners and you watch sort of the ages by the time these kids hit um sort of senior school and uh, finishing off at school you'll see a lot of anterior head posture when your head goes forward it throws your center of mass forward and they'll start almost like four foot striking or they'll, their gait will change um so i think a lot of people by the time they're adult they're more anterior chain anterior chain would be thinking about and some people drill or cue this in and so, so like it's a desire there's it's an aim they want to run in their forefoot or they but anterior chain visually is like the front of a horse where you almost landing on your forefoot and pulling back um posterior chain would more be like the back of the horse you're gonna you're gonna land with your whole foot and you're gonna drive from your hips your, your hips extend um before your hamstring contracts would be almost like a definition or a, a tipping point on that um if you want to feel what that feels like you can step 
onto your forefoot, like take a step forward and, and leave your heel off the ground and just put your forefoot down. And you'll feel a band of tension that goes on the inside of your shin or your posterior tip muscle. It goes up there and it goes into your medial hamstrings and adductors. And that tension goes through the front of your pelvis, up your psoas, and gets into your diaphragm. If you stand and you put all your weight on your back heel and you sort of have the ability to lift your forefoot up, you'll find that the weight, the load is more on the outside of your leg, up the posterior outside of your leg and back into your glute. And that will be more posterior chain. Um, a handy little trick, or if you want to experience this as a listener, is if you sit down with your legs out in front of you, your hamstrings will be tight and you'll notice that it's actually very difficult to sit up straight. And if you take a deep breath, you'll notice that your chest feels constricted or you can't lift your arms up over your head and breathe. It, it's difficult. It's difficult to sit up straight. It's difficult to get a, a curve in your lower back and you'll feel tension in your breathing. And that's almost an example of tight hamstrings getting into your body. If you then tall kneel, so if you kneel and then you, you sit upright, like you get as tall as you can when you're kneeling, you're not squatting and kneeling. Um, in that position, there's very little tension in your adductors and hamstrings. And what you'll find is it's very easy for you to breathe. You might even notice your chest sort of lifts. If you lift your arms up over your head, it's really, really easy. And, and that's an example that I'll use with athletes and saying when you're more balanced, your breathing is easier. Um, and, and they sort of notice that. Sure. That's, that, that's extremely interesting that you bring that up. And I, I can actually visualize it. And I, I'm sure that a lot of listeners will, will be trying that and feeling that difference. So would you then be saying that if you are in the case of sitting with your legs straight out of in front of you and struggling a little bit more with the breathing, that would be mimicking more of an anterior chain activation yeah. versus the kneeling one would be more of mimicking more of a posterior chain activation. So then yeah. based on that, would you then try and cue people to be more, and I know cueing, and again, <laughs> it's it's difficult and changing yeah. things that don't really, that's changing something that's not wrong, but yeah. Would you then try to get someone more pos uh, working more on their posterior chain or being more dominant on their posterior chain? And it's a it's a double it's a double edged question because now if this person doesn't struggle with any issues and they are anterior chain dominant, do we want to correct that as well as a therapist? Or what are your thoughts? Um, it, 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 yeah, it's a really really interesting point. It, the difference between anterior chain running and posterior chain running is so profound. Um, I personally. Yeah. Look, in a relationship with an athlete, I'll will will this this comes up right, and I'll say, look, you, um, okay, we're going to take one step back. A lot of people are anterior chain based from a neurological base, from a cerebellum base. It's, they don't have access to their posterior chain whatsoever, and I think that's dysfunctional. Okay, and so we can we can then start to open up posterior chain. We can do posterior chain exercises. My favorite one would be swinging a flow rope backwards in a figure of eight. Some people are physically or neurologically incapable of doing it. And once they do it, you know, now you have access to your posterior chain, perhaps it's going to happen in your running. In elite athletes that I work with, I personally can't keep them injury free and I can't keep them healthy and happy if they don't have access to their posterior chain and they're not an, an, at least a balanced runner. Someone that's stuck on the anterior chain and only anterior chain, it's almost impossible to keep them healthy and happy. For me, anterior chain is a gear. You needed to accelerate. You needed to mm -hmm. run up hills. You, you needed to, like if you watch Faith Kip Yagen, she'll transition between forefoot and, and whole foot. 
And I, I think humans functionally, like if, uh, as in, I know this can be really controversial for some, but if a 10 year old walks into your practice on their forefoot and their heels aren't touching the ground, you have a central nervous system. It's almost so certain you have a central nervous system problem. And it's a chicken and an egg. You know, these things are yeah. reciprocal. If you're walking around only on your forefoot or running on your forefoot, there are neurological consequences to this. Um, so, yeah. so we'd like to be able to, even a, a very anterior chain dominant person, we'd like them to have the ability to access posterior chain. I think the things that you mentioned there, you know, they make a lot of sense in my head and I hope that they do as well to the listeners. And if they don't, it probably speaks to you not being acutely aware of what your body, how your body actually moves. And if you're a runner that's not aware of that, that is a big issue. Uh, But I love the fact that you're sort of saying it is a gear because even like I can feel when my anterior chain works, like you're saying, in the acceleration, like if I'm trying to put in like a last 100 meter sprint at the end of my easy run or just trying to pip a friend at the end of a run, like that is when I can really feel my front legs of a horse activating. And when I'm just grounding out and getting into an ultra marathon gear, I'm trying to, you know, drive away from my hips and lean forward from those hips. And I can just see that difference and I can feel the difference in my breathing as well, Lawrence, which is super yeah. interesting. I can feel the restriction in my lungs when I'm trying to stride out in front of me versus the rhythm that I can get into when yeah. I can get my posterior chain activating. And the access to the posterior chain, I think that was sort of a great way to mention it for me because I see so many people in my practice where you know they've been trying to do glute exercises till the cows come home, but yeah. They actually can't feel their glutes activating. Uh, yeah. They can't feel them working. They're always feeling their quadriceps, uh, anything yeah. that they try to do. Would that be an example for a listener that perhaps doesn't know the fancy terms? Would that be an example of someone that is anterior chain dominant and doesn't have access to their posterior chain? Yes. Yeah, yeah. If you if you can't activate your glutes or you don't have glutes or you hamstring dominant, quad dominant, can't find glutes, those are all signs that you're anterior chain. But, it's something that's really interesting for me, and, and and the listeners will like this, right? Because you might you might say, no, I disagree with Lawrence because reasons. But one of the interesting things is with the super shoes. Super shoes are trampolines, and and their performance comes from compressibility. So like a pogo stick, you have to compress the shoe to bounce out of the shoe, and so the 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 cheese is moved in running. We've been obsessed with picking your feet up off the ground and decreasing ground contact time and minimizing impact for the last. 20 or 30 years. With super shoes, you're rewarded for pressing your foot into the ground. And I think that's the easiest way to get people across like, oh, you know, I might need to concentrate on how I press my foot into the ground. And 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 for listeners, like, I mean, this is not the topic of this conversation. Mm, mm. Um, how your feet hit the ground has everything to do with your posture, your alignment, and your hips put your foot onto the ground. It's not, it doesn't come from the feet up, it comes from the top how down. It is difficult for... Yeah, yeah, sure. But uh, you can see how it is difficult for a listener because there, mm. there is so much conflicting information, information out there. there yeah. are p- the, the people that s- say, you you know, you should have a decreased ground contact time. There are the people that say, no, you should be pressing into the floor. You should be, yeah. be purposeful with that because you're going to gain power from that compression, that elasticity. Yeah. Like you can see why people just don't know who to listen to and end up yes. not listening to anything really and just doing <laughs> their own thing. But it yeah. goes to say again to the point that we mentioned is like you got to know your body and you got to know what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And there's no replacement for experience or finding someone like you that can actively look at your running and 
tweak things that perhaps could make you more ben, uh, more efficient. It's not about trying to find the gold standard because there is no gold standard. Everyone's individual, right? Yeah. But you can you can pick up patterns that are problematic in certain individuals. And I'm sure there are also breathing patterns that are problematic. Yes. And that's right. And and, and the more the more the more like breathing so central to our movement patterns, our mental and emotional state, our posture. Like if if I can cue myself through breath, I can take a deep breath in, feel where the breath goes and really improve my posture. I could do that before a squat. I could do that before I do bird dogs, let's say. Um, your, your, di- your, your diaphragm is your core. It's your central gyroscope. And so like um, generally speaking for listeners, like you can get overwhelmed, but the path is very, very clear. The more dysfunction you remove from the body, the more likely you are to move better, run better, feel better, and start trusting your body. And that's the game. That's what you have to play. Breathing, if you've got a, like a, if you chronically get side stitches, okay, you probably end up with like reflux or I hate this hernia or, you know, and then you have a gut biome problem. Now you have an inflammatory problem, you know, and then you like the, the amount of drama you can have in your body if you don't breathe properly is extraordinary. And I'm going to read a quick list from this is again from Patrick McKeon, Oxygen Advantage. He's probably the guy that's at the forefront of the scientific research and validating breath and, um, and we just go quickly through a list of, of things that you might be experiencing, which are all indication of a breathing pattern disorder. Okay, I'll get my glasses on. So breathlessness, can't nose breathe, anxiety, asthma, uh, noisy breathing, far shallow breaths, grunts, side stitches, uh, poor bolt score, which is, we discussed yesterday, uh, back pain, neck pain, repetitive strain injuries. Um, for, for athletes, huge, like for me, plantar fascia, Achilles, all breathing, um, all linked to breathing. Um, and if it's not linked to breathing, it's linked to back pain, which is linked to breathing. <laughs> okay. Um, muscle pain. Okay. So, you know, if you're always firm rolling and trigger points, you've got to look at your breathing. Tired too soon in exercise, cold hands and feet, um, sleeping disorders, snoring. Um, I mean, runners, I said, extremity injuries. Yeah. It's a pretty profound list. And it's not to say... Mm. Um, you, this, these are just associations. So clearing up and making your breathing healthy can have really, really big effects in, in terms of um, your performance and your well-being and your mental and emotional state. Sure. It's, it's super interesting. Again, that there's so many things that link to breathing that I think people just can't do not put two and two together and i mean we know that a lot of a lot of these things don't happen in us don't happen in isolation there's a multitude of factors that contribute to the injuries it's not the only thing but it's interesting that it plays a role it's something that doesn't even cross your mind Um, one of the things that you mentioned that i actually want to chat about and and bring into the conversation that i think a lot of listeners will find interesting is is side stitches um how much of the side stitches are linked to breathing just simply because of, I know personally that some people find it that if they focus on their breathing or if they take their focus away from breathing and focus say on their cadence or their foot strike or anything else, sometimes the, the, the side stitches do set, do tend to go away. What are your thoughts with side stitches? Um, I, I think there's two categories. Okay. So, so just generally you get a stitch. Um, probably diaphragm related and breathing, um, you know, simple things in a run. Okay. I'm getting a side stitch. What do I do? One of the easiest things is to swap the leg that you land and inhale on, I think is, is the one that they think gets tight. Might be exhale. doesn't matter because you basically, let's say 
you'll be running and breathing in every two steps and out every two steps. If you breathe in for two steps and out for three steps, you'll find that you know you'll breathe in on a different on, on a different side. But if you keep every time you breathe in, your right foot hits the ground, you often going to have a you, you can end up with side stitches. And you you probably want to deepen your your you want to use your diaphragm. It's a great time if you can to nose breathe because as soon as you add nose breathing, you tend to draw your diaphragm down more and not sort of breathe up and in your chest. So so those three things: slowing your breathing down, nose breathing if you can, and then making sure that your your breathing step pattern is an odd number so that your your foot alternates you know which side strikes first I, I think those are really good while you're running to sort out that there are some techniques where you can sort of stop take a deep breath and bend over and it's really stretches out your diaphragm and can often release side stitches um and, and that should take care of it I, I think anyone that with healthy breathing won't get side stitches to to be so if it's something that frequently happens yeah. to you you know work on your breathing um we will we can do breath pumps here um, we can teach people how to do breath pumps. They'll really, really help you free up diaphragm adhesions. Um, and yeah, just working on your breathing in general. Um, and then there's people who are now saying me, 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 and their hands are up. These are people with severe, severe side stitches. So that, so that they once they start, they, they'll stop your run. You won't be able to run through it. Um, these are people who literally the side stitches can end their running career. Usually that's an accumulation. Um, it, from an anatomy point of view, your right side of your diaphragm is denser. Your right psoas, um, there's a crust of your diaphragm. It's a little muscle, the part of the diaphragm, the muscle that comes down and it actually lies on top of your psoas. Most people, because of, because of the liver and the stomach are two different organs, because your diaphragm is denser on the right, because you've got the crust of the diaphragm is more developed on the right. And also because it feeds into handedness, right hand hitting a ball towards the right. You'll find that your right sort of hip can be higher and your right ribs can be lower, your shoulder can be lower. And so you can store an incredible amount of tension in that right side. And so for people with very, very severe side stitches, you're going to want to learn to un, un open up that pattern. And, and that, that you also want to get onto your posterior chain. You'll find that that's an anterior dominant. Like tension causes a twist. And you'll find that these are people with a lot of tension in their adductors, in their hamstrings, in their psoas, in their diaphragm. It's, it's really, really tight and critical. And those people will probably, the only way you're going to return back to running is to, if you make that whole system healthy. And you're certainly going to have to start figuring out how to use your posterior chain. <laughs> Would that also explain why newbie runners or people that aren't very experienced at running, at running are more likely to get stitches? Is it because yeah. the diaphragm being a muscle is not as as conditioned uh, at, at maintaining the breath work for a prolonged period of time? Yeah. Yeah, that's – that's and, and also lack of sort of rhythm and over-breathing, um, yeah. you know. Yeah, and, and that's an interesting thing is I think it's helpful for some people to think about like you have running fitness and then you have breathing fitness and they might not be the same. So so you might, you know, don't feel overwhelmed by this conversation. You might just find that your breathing is not as fit as you're running, you know, and then and it's almost like making your breathing as fit as you're running, you know, and bringing it up to so that the two are part. Um, you know, a lot of people get obsessed with a high performance of breathing and do restricted breathing and breathing masks. And, and, and you know, the reality is, uh, humans are really interesting. Like we, we're very susceptible to deficiencies and too much, right? So if you have too little vitamin C, you're going to get scurvy. Um, 
you know, and if you have too much vitamin C, you're going to get sick. It's not good for you, right? So, so with breathing, I think a lot of the emphasis should be on making sure you don't have a breathing deficiency and just making it healthy and normal. And that's kind of okay. You know, I'm, I'm not that, <laughs> I'm not that, uh, for me personally, I understand like restricted breathing or strengthening your diaphragm or, or, or turning what was a weakness into, into a slight strength. But generally speaking, I think that I, I'm not that convinced. I, I think it can be a distraction and I think you can get a little too involved in that when there's a hell of a lot of other things that you might then want to move on to, you know, just making it healthy is good enough. Yeah, look, I think, and that's why a lot of runners don't think about it. It's probably one of the last things that they eventually switch onto. I mean, there's there's a lot of other things when you begin running that you focus on. But I yeah. think, you know, breathing becomes one of those elements where now say you're also a runner that has been running for three years, five years, and it's sort of hitting a plateau. And, that's, you know, it's not something that you've ever thought about. And just doing simple breath work throughout your daily life can really help elevate your running or get you out of that plateau because it is an element yeah. that you haven't uh, spoken about or thought about. But obviously, it is useful to to beginner runners. And I think the point that you mentioned that you you mentioned breathing fitness it, is so interesting because obviously we all know running fitness, right? We all know yeah, cardiovascular, yeah. the element of getting fitter as you run and that happens fairly quickly i mean we yeah. develop cardiovascular fitness very fast we also know the element of physical fitness like how our bones and and tendons and joints and muscles take a hell of a lot longer to get used to to running like that road hardiness that we talk about and then obviously then you've got your your breathing fitness which is a completely different element and something that you, you don't even have to be practicing as a runner to become better at. It's just part of someone's life. And the effect that it has on the other elements of your life it is extremely interesting. I think you mentioned breath pumps as, as something that can, can help you with your diaphragm restrictions. Um, yeah. Would you be able to sort of talk through how a listener could, could practice these elements to try and, and improve their breathing, breathing restrictions or give us some exercises that people can practice? Yeah, sure. So, so breath pumps are really simple. We, we basically just pump your diaphragm up and down and it stretches and strengthens your diaphragm. And what, 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 what's very important, I think, is to realize that breathing can get stuck in patterns or postures. And, and um, so an important element of this, is like a preface to this is, um, let's say I was hit hard on the right, I was punched in the ribs and I had a rib injury and I splintered my breathing. Often you'll find if I go back into that position, that's when that breathing restriction shows up. So, so a lot of breathing restrictions or glitches can happen in positions and, and they'll often happen in a position of trauma. And this can be physical and emotional trauma. Okay. <laughs> I, know, I know this is weird. So, so if in, in your line of work, you should always notice if someone's breathing suddenly becomes hitched or, or staccato or, or, or jerky. So let's say you're doing a squat and like, I like people to do a squat with no weight and I want to see how they breathe through the squat before I add load. Um, you know, someone that sort of holds their breath or gets nervous or apprehensive or their breath stutters in, in, in an exercise or movement or a mobility exercise, we want to clear that out because you, you're going into the exercise with apprehension. Um, so, so anyway, it's very important to, so some people can, let's say we do breath pumps. I know people that, I know a person that cannot do it prone. 
like they can do breath pumps in any position. They can do it upright on their back, on their side with a twist. As soon as you go on all fours, cannot do the breath pump, cannot initiate the diaphragm, cannot breathe properly, cannot barely breathe. It's absolutely physically impossible for them. Um, and we don't sort of know why, but it's, they're a world-class um, time trialist, <laughs> you know, like a triathlete. And, you know, so it's like, well, on all fours in that position, it's really important that you do breathe well because this is your sport, your livelihood. Okay. So, so breathing can be very, very positional. Okay. Um, and interestingly, I find it fascinating that humans are the only mammals that exercise with a horizontal diaphragm. How's that for a fun fact? <laughs> All the other mammals, when they exercise, their diaphragms are vertical. <laughs> anyway, so breath pumps works like this. Okay, um, let's take a moment first. So, so I like to to and we'll 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 link this all up, and it's really really simple. Is I like to do a little test. Are, are you at the top of your breath or the bottom of your breath? When you do easy runs and long runs and ultra distance running, you want to be at the bottom of your breath. Okay, so what we mean by this is. I'm going to neither be breathed in or out. I'm still going to be in the middle of my breath. So there's no tension in my breathing system. And from there, I'm going to breathe in and see how much range I've got. So I'm neither breathed in nor out. I'm pretty chill. And I'm going to breathe in. Okay, so I could breathe in a lot on top of my, the middle of my breath, right? I'm going to get back to that sort of neutral part where I'm not breathed in or out. I'm going to breathe out. I don't have that far to go. Okay, so that would mean I'm more at the bottom of my breath. And we, I think you should kind of live at a six to four ratio. Okay, if you're a mouth breather, if you breathe up in your chest, um, people with asthma, and asthma, by the way, and exercise induced asthma is highly improvable if you do breathing training, right? Um, you might find that when you breathe in, you go, and when you breathe out, you can breathe a long way out. And that's living at the top of your breath. You don't want to exercise from there. You don't want to run long runs from there. You want to be more towards the bottom of your breath. And then some people are obviously stuck, so they can hardly breathe in and hardly breathe out. And then your whole breathing system is constrained and breath pumps will open all of this up. Okay, so now we're going to do a breath pump. A breath pump, you can imagine a ball, whatever ball you, you like. You know, As South Africans, it's probably a rugby ball at the moment. <laughs> And you're going to put the ball in your chest and we're going to hold our breath. So the whole exercise, we hold our breath. We don't breathe while we do a breath pump. Okay. So I'm going to take a deep breath in through my nose. I'm going to imagine there's a ball in my chest. I'm going to hold my breath and then I'm going to put that ball in my belly. And my belly is going to distend and my chest is going to come down. And then I'm going to swap. I'm going to put, suck my tummy in and the ball's going to go into my chest. And then I'm going to distend my belly and collapse my chest and the ball's going to go down. And if you, you're holding your breath while you do this, okay, as soon as you need to, then sort of breathe and get your breath back. And a breath pump will work like this. You'll end up having a piston-like action where your diaphragm gets pumped up and down. So it's quite a it's quite a strong, powerful sensation. Okay, so if I had to do a breath pump, if you end up watching this, it would look something like this. Yeah, so sure. so those what are breath pumps. Mm -hmm. It's quite a fast, forceful. Yeah, it, 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 if you relax into it, it becomes fast and quite a powerful sensation. Okay, um, and so that's a breath pump where you're basically just pumping your diaphragm up and down. It's very, very good at getting adhesions out of your diaphragm. With positions, you want to be able to do that standing, um, sitting. Your diaphragm really gets pushed up, so it's not a great 
you can do breath pumps at work or when you're sitting, but you will probably it'll cue you to sit up straight, but you want to do this on all fours, lying on your back, and then with a slight twist, one way and the other way. Um, and you'll be amazed that like you suddenly do that on, on all fours, like in bird dog position, and you'll feel adhesions in your back, and you'll feel like, oh, wow, that's completely different from when I was lying on my back, per se. And, 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 and standing is very, very different from sitting. Yeah, but if you've done some of those breath pumps, so like, and you don't have to do a lot, this is very, very effective. It's like, you know, once a week, you should do a couple of breath pumps. And if you do, we're going to do one more round of breath pumps now, and then we'll go back and visit where our breath is. Okay, so again, and oh, and you can also put the ball in your stomach first, <laughs> rather than your chest first. And that makes a difference, believe it or not. So this time, we're going to, we're going to take a deep breath in through our nose, and we put the ball in our belly first, right? So Deep breath in, your belly should distend, and we're going to pump the other way around. So we're going to go from belly to chest, belly to chest, while we hold our breath. And when you breathe in again, make sure you breathe out through your nose and then nose breathing. Okay, so breathing in, balls in my belly, and we're going to go belly, chest, belly, chest. And then I breathe out. Okay, so now if we go back to, we're going to do our... our <laughs> our middle of our breath like where we are in our breath let's so if i if i go to the middle of my breath and i have no tension in my breathing and i breathe in for me that range is opened up it's lifted i can breathe more okay and if i relax and then i breathe out i'm still at the bottom of my breath but that range is also opened up so it's a very very good practical way of opening sure, up your, can, your, your range of breath Feel the range. <laughs> sure. I, yeah. I can actually feel like my diaphragm distends a little bit further with each one of those yeah. compared to the first time. That's yeah. that's super fascinating. Thank you, okay. Lawrence. I think yeah. the, the one element that you mentioned, um, the, the exercise-induced asthma sort of got me thinking about al alter uh, ulterior complications. Now, for people that do struggle with exercise-induced asthma, obviously that's uh, – used to experience it a long time ago. It was like a phase that I went through. I'm sure there's a lot of different reasons why people experience that. Um, would breath work also help with that? Yeah, I've got a client who, who went from using their, their pump um, sort of in the hundreds, like 150, 160 times a month, and he's dropped it down to 10. Um, and so you, you can remarkably move the needle and, and, and the formula is pretty simple. Make sure you nose breathe when you sleep at night. Um, that is important. Practice nose breathing, walking in at low levels of exercise or, or just during the day. You know, like again, the, we, we discussed it yesterday. You want to often approach breath pretty gently. Um, so someone with exercise induced asthma or, or a marked breathing restriction, you can't just dive in then go for it and doing breath holding because if you put them in a state of anxiety trust me it's going to get worse and so you know just, you, you've got to sort of start where you're at um and so just walking nose breathing and doing some really simple breathing exercises there's a lovely app i like called apnea trainer and and people who have had um, long-haul COVID, i mean like obviously go and work with a professional but if you have um covid issues you know post-covid not while you have an acute infection but afterwards your breathing's not quite normal exercise induced asthma people that want to strengthen their breathing there's a there's an app called apnea trainer um and i i think that it's 
got probably the best um, breathing restriction and breath holding cycle in it. And, and that's a great way to, to, for asthmatics is to actually build up your carbon dioxide tolerance and practice a bit of breath yeah, holding. And the app, you can, you can slowly just get better and better and monitor where you're at. Thank you for that. Um, I think I, I, I'm sure a lot of listeners that do struggle with that will find it interesting and will definitely learn to be able to practice that. And we'll go look for that app. I'm sure we'll, we'll put it in the show notes as well. Um, talking about different types of breathing issues, um, obviously then we also for say a runner that trains at a moderate temperature, say you're 20 degrees Celsius, your usual, and now you go over somewhere where it's winter or it's a lot colder, or now you've got a race day that's going to be a lot colder. I know I personally have felt this. I mean, you can really feel massive restriction in your lungs when trying to to run or race at lower temperatures. Is there obviously breath work, I'm sure there's there's elements of that that will help, but is there anything other than adapting to the temperature that runners could do? And I'll, this also brings in altitude, you know, altitude training, how that affects our breath work. Yeah, yeah I mean, at altitude, breath work's obviously more relevant because you, that is one of the, the things that's sort of stressing you. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of tricky. So nose breathing, your nose's function is to warm and moisten air or cool and, and sort of moisten and filter out particles and then nitric oxide. So um, trying to nose breathe again, you know, a lot of the times we can assess about running. It's really important to, to us, but the average person doesn't run much more than an hour a day. You still got another 23 hours. And so I can't stress enough how important it is to have healthy breathing for 23 hours a day, not just when you're running, you might find like, you know, you sort that out. So, so again, you know, nose breathing, you sleep at night, nose breathe it, any other time you're not talking or eating, you should be nose breathing. Um, this sort of relaxed jaw posture. And so in the cold, yeah, initially starting nose breathing. The problem is, is that um, like if you flare your nose or you use breathe right strips at altitude in the cold, you'll almost immediately, your nose will just start running and streaming. It, it can almost trigger like an allergy kind of effect. So you, you've got to be kind of careful with that. Um, you can put... Um, like glycerin or Vaseline <laughs> in your nose, it can it can help a little bit. It just you know, um, but yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, and 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 training and adaptation to it. I'm sure someone else has got better advice for this than that. You know, and you might want to use like, like a baffle scarf to basically sort of heat the air initially and just get you used to it. But I, I would say slow climate, like getting just trying to get used to used to the sort of cold air. You know, and and. I know that this is not directly related to the breathing conversation that we're having, but what about oxygen flow restriction? Say like people that do uh, that wear masks to try and mimic high altitude training. I think it is something that we can talk a little bit about because I've, I think it's, yeah. what, what are your thoughts on it? First of all. Um, so I, I think people don't understand, like underestimate how reactive Oh, um, erythropoietin is to, to breathing. And so I, I think there's enough studies showing that breath restriction and altitude simulation changes your hematocrit level. Um, your, your spleen, basically, we can trigger a, a splenic contraction, which will release red blood cells into your system pretty quickly. Um, so, so, yeah, this system is, is trainable, movable, and adaptable, and makes a bigger difference quicker than you might think. 
generally speaking in breath terms, you need to do breath holding or breath sort of restriction for about six to eight weeks to, to start really moving the needle, even up to 12 weeks. Okay. Um, my, my concern is again, is I'm, I, I think a lot of people will say, okay, I'm into performance. I want to do breath restriction. Breath restriction will strengthen my breathing. I, I urge the runners and listeners to, 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 take out adhesions out of your breath, to learn to control your breathing first, learn to slow your breathing first, um, figure out anterior chain and posterior chain. Because what you don't want to do is if you load a dysfunction, you increase the dysfunction. So uh, for a lot of people, it's like reducing the dysfunctions in your breathing and, and creating a platform and then sort of building up. So I would say restricted breathing and masks are for kind of people that that have got on top of their bolts or that do understand their breathing, that you know, you're, you're on the front foot. Um, you know, that, that would be my recommendation and the same for going to altitude or even using like a hypoxic or, or altitude tents. Like if you don't sleep well normally and you can't and you're mouth breathing and you have, let's say a whole, you know, you sort of have a bit of anxiety and there's a whole, your breathing is not awesome. That person's probably not going to respond to an altitude tent as much as someone that's actually sort of smooth over the breathing you know you're going to get a better response and we see that at altitude here in boulder the better you breathe the better you respond to training the better you absorb your fitness you know the better you thrive you thrive you tend to thrive more at altitude you come here with a breathing pattern disorder and train hard it's not going to go well for you but isn't that just so typical of human nature you know rather yeah. than focusing on on the basics that we can literally work on every single day while sitting doing our work we're looking for yeah. the gimmicky stuff the stuff that's going to give us the big gains the stuff that they're putting out on social media that people are yeah. talking about but there are basic ways to be just better at breathing and more mindful at breathing and the one part that you mentioned earlier in the 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 form that we were talking about versus where we were talking about anterior chain the posterior chain you mentioned the shoulders as well i just want to quickly talk about the shoulders and how how runners can be more mindful of just keeping their shoulders in terms of like their head position and that and again i know we're not queuing and everyone's is is different but how how where should we be carrying our shoulder as a runner and how does that impact the heart of our shoulders and how relaxed we are when running and breathing? Okay. So, so shoulders should just hang off your rib cage. And, and so if you want to improve your shoulder posture, improve your posture. And if you want to improve your running, improve your posture. So first of all, improve your posture and posture is highly improvable. So, you know, a really good test is just to walk up to a wall, put your toes against the wall, put your hips against the wall, and just see if you're okay with <laughs> where your head's at. And most people find when you step up to a wall, you realize like your head's so far forward that your head kind of, your face hits the wall before your toes hit the wall. <clears throat> and and we, so we want to work on posture and stacking head on top of shoulders. Again, shoulders on top of hips. And from there, we can relax our shoulders. That exercise that we did with the bottom of the breath if you're at the top of your breath, you'll have uppity shoulders. And so breath pumps and, and, and learning to focus on the exhale and your running will drop your shoulders. The other thing is if you have a tight pelvic floor, you have a tight diaphragm, you have a tight shoulders. So those three things tend to go together. Tight pelvic floor, tight diaphragm, uppity shoulders. So someone with their shoulders up near their neck, you also have a tight diaphragm. If you have a tight diaphragm, you have restricted hips. If you have restricted hips, you probably have some level of glute inhibition because the muscles on the front of your hips are flexors, the muscles at the back are extensors. It's kind of a war. <laughs> so 
pelvic floor tension, hip flexion tension, adductor tension, psoas tension is the enemy of breathing and the enemy of hip extension. I know, I know. Along those lines, don't like, <laughs> don't go nuts on this. Yeah. Generally yeah, I mean, speaking, okay. Tension, yeah. No, yeah. sure. Okay. And so, and so, yeah, we, we resolving are. your breathing will often drop your shoulders. And then the second part of that is have a really, really good posture and your shoulders will drop into the right place, but you don't have to cue shoulders. You don't have to, generally speaking, if you tell someone to pull their shoulders back, their head goes forward and head forward and running is a, is a big problem. Um, for me, <laughs> and and tension at the back of your neck will relate to lower back and hamstring tension, and again will affect your breathing. There's that we talked about screen apnea yesterday. Looking at a t at a screen, especially a small screen, or reading an email, tends to cause eye restrictions, and it tends to cause um, us to hold our breath and have and hitches in our breathing. Um, so. So there's another little thing is like you want to open the back of your neck. So as your head sits on top of your shoulders, your upper cervical posture improves and your pelvis improves. So so those are really important for me. And the relationship between your upper neck and I know it's a bit off topic, your upper neck and your sacrum is huge. I just had an athlete that came back that I've worked with before and got pretty dialed and she traveled and her sacrum and she had like IT tension down the side of her leg and the side of her hip was sore and the side of the knee was sore and her hip was completely blocked. And we treated her neck and her sacrum and pelvic function completely restored and she had zero IT band issues. It's all upper cervical region. So your upper cervical region really affects your pelvis and sacrum and breath health. Posture. It's important. It's, 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 it might not be directly linked, but it certainly plays a big role and it just shows how the whole body, you know, functions as a unit. And I think yeah. there's a lot of elements that you've that you brought up in in that little five minute that you just had now where I could dive in and dissect a little <laughs> bit further, but I don't want to because I feel like that's going to take us away from the discussion. And the one yeah. last thing that I sort of want to bring up in the discussion, and this is something that, you know, ever since school athletics and anyone that's ever run an interval or pushed themselves to the yeah. limit or wants to do multiple intervals, what is the best position to recover as an athlete post an interval because now you know i sometimes i, I just want to put my my head my hands on my on my thighs head down some people say no you got to keep your chest elevated you got to keep your chest opened some people say no that's the other that's the natural position you got to look down what, what is it what should we be doing to recover better Okay, so my, th I mean, this is, this is interesting. So to my shame, I used to tell my rugby players, no, stand up and get your hands over your head and open up your, your breathing in your chest. Um, and now obviously I've changed my mind. Um, <laughs> put your hands on your knees and get your diaphragm vertical and, and it puts it immediately your diaphragm in a position at ease and you're likely to recover faster. Um, so, so <laughs> like, there we go. <laughs> Very different um, opinions from, from a couple of years back. Yeah. Bend, uh, bend forward, hands on knees. You'll probably recover faster. You put your diaphragm at ease and, and, you know, it's all about recovering. Sure. I just found whatever's easier. Hey, I just throw yeah, 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 exactly. and try and try and try <laughs> and try to make it back to the, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, sometimes the, going back to that breathing fitness is just, you know, you can put in a hard effort as a runner and sometimes you can feel like it's your heart rate that's limiting you. Sometimes yeah. you can feel like it's your physical body that's limiting you. And sometimes you can really feel like it's it's your lungs that are limiting you. And yeah. obviously, like what we're talking about, breath pumps, being able to get rid of the, the, the diaphragm tightnesses that we have, all of these things, breathing throughout your day, becoming a better nose breather. 
if you can just master all these little elements, there's no doubt that it can improve performance. Is there an idea of how much performance it can improve or is it how long is a piece of string type of theory? Um, yeah. So nose breathing is apparently 15% more efficient if you want a number than, than mouth breathing as a sort of number. Um, and, and touching on this is, is like, it, it's really complicated in the beginning, but it should feel simpler. And, 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 you know, like runners might be like, Oh, what do I trust this opinion, that opinion? Ultimately, you know, your best running is when everything starts to sink in. So you're not that aware of your breathing. Everything fits. Everything feels right. Like my breathing, like it feels appropriately tired. My whole body's fatiguing, not sort of, I'm hyper aware of my breathing or I'm hyper aware of my quads or I'm hyper aware of my adductors. So, so generally speaking, when things start to fall in line, become simpler, your body disappears in your mind, it feels like one thing is, is try and trend towards that direction. Um, in, in terms of, Breathing, yeah, it's extraordinary. I mean, you, you're talking like people can improve their run times by like two minutes of 10K, you know, like and, and have massive breakthroughs in performance. And the other is, is anterior to posterior chain is, is mm. sort of, I mean, you know, at the elite level in triathlon, we've seen breakthroughs of a minute to 90 seconds. Um, you know, a tailored nerve, I don't think mine's me saying very much. I mean, she had a breakthrough in a running of equivalent of 90 seconds on a 10K. Um, which is oh. extraordinary, you know, and it happened in about three weeks. <laughs> and um, so, so yeah, some people can be really, really, it can be a big deal. And, and then the, and, and in, in elite runners, let's say an elite marathon runner, if you calm down breathing and you work with your breathing system, which means being more sort of balanced and possibly posterior chain or, or having the access to that. We've, we've seen blood lactate profile shifts very, very rapidly. I mean, we literally from one day to the next. You can have a, a blood lactate profile that sort of starts low and then just hockey pucks up. And, you know, um, recently a case in three or four days, just the flat line, you know, and, and comparing it to a training partner, suddenly you're doing the same session, you're producing less blood lactate in three days. So, so a lot of this is very, can be very, very dramatic or very profound in big numbers. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm speechless. I think between the two conversations that we've now had, I mean, I knew how important breathing was prior. I don't think I've been more acutely aware and my wife will say the same <laughs> thing after editing the last podcast. She hasn't been more acutely aware of her breathing throughout her daily life. <laughs> and I think if you're a runner that's not aware of your breathing, that is a simple yet so effective way to just improve your quality of life, not just your running, overall and i think lawrence you've you've summed that up so nicely although we had to do two for it <laughs> it it it's so beneficial and i'm just so grateful that we we had the second chance to this conversation because i think i've loved the second conversation you know we've managed to get into a lot of the questions that a lot of runners have and actually ask and yeah i think <sighs> the main thing is be relaxed guys try to be as relaxed as you can and get into your flow when you're breathing as a runner. Yeah, oh, very, very well said. And yeah, I think for a lot of people, it's progress, not perfection, um, will help. And and ultimately, like start with the end in mind. It is ultimately you want the breath of no breath. You want your breath to be so awesome that you don't have to think about your breathing. You know, like put, that. That's where you want to end up. Not no not obsessing with gimmicks and and having a sense of it. Like having you don't want to have anxiety about your anxiety. <laughs> 
So you, sh- so, so you shouldn't book that trip to a 10 just because you want to now go and do some uh, altitude training, eh? <laughs> it's very important for people that go to altitude is, is make you breathing healthy before you get there. Um, yeah. Fantastic. That's a great pointer. Lawrence, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge again with, with myself and our listeners. We, we truly appreciate it. And I hope that uh, the listeners can take on uh, a few of the advice, a few of the tricks and little exercises that you've shown us today. And yeah, um, I appreciate your time. And I can't wait for our next uh, deep dive in, in something a little bit more different. Maybe next time we'll chat specifically to just the, the anterior and posterior chain. Yes, Nick, I'd love to do that. Thank you. Thanks for having me and good luck, everyone. And run well, breathe well, and make the world a better place. Thank you for listening to another episode of Making a Runner. We hope you enjoyed it and found value in the show. Don't forget to rate and leave a review on your favorite streaming platform. And remember to share with your running buddies. Follow our journey on our socials and feel free to engage with us on all things running. We wish you a pleasant run wherever the road or trail may take you. Bye for now.